Mindset with this comic book podcast. Keep safe. We're talking about too old, too new comic books on a podcast. Too old and too new comic books. Welcome to Too Old, Too New Comic Book Podcast. My name is Bill Beer, and joining me tonight, Starro to my Justice League, Seth Howard. <laughs> Wait, I'm the bad guy? Of course, you're always the bad okay. guy. I'm always the bad guy because yeah. I'm a redhead. You got to yes. think against redheads. I got gotcha. you. Yes. Well, don't have as much hair anymore, but it was red. So <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. So as always on Too Old, Too New, Too Old Comic Books, Too New Comic Books. And what do we want to do first? Tell you what, let's do a swing at the fences and take some old ones first. How's that sound? Okay, sounds good. You want to start off? The Batmobile. Let's go. Sure, sure. So, um, with everything going on right now and the uh, the the quarantine, everybody's on. Do you have? Uh, do you watch wrestling? WWE? Uh, used to, not so much anymore. Sure, gotcha. Yeah, when I was a kid, you know, obviously it was WWF, WWE. Well, anyway, I've always been a fan of wrestling. I go through these phases of, of watching it back and forth. And the other night, they had an event and there was no audience, which was kind of funny because it's this build up to WrestleMania, and there's no. There is no audience there at all. It's just the wrestlers and the promo guys. And it was pretty amazing because then what you really see there, part of wrestling is the storylines you get, the wrestlers, obviously the action, but it's also about seeing the crowd reactions and how if they boo someone coming in or if they cheer them. Right. And uh, and then the wrestlers' reactions to it as they're coming down that ramp and getting in the ring. My goodness, these guys are amazing. Now, they're not great actors, but, I mean, they still – act their heart out without an audience there and i give them mad props for that so that got me thinking about okay which comic do i want to do for this and i remember i don't even remember what triggered in my mind i was like wait a minute there is a comic book where uh batman actually wrestled a wrestler in a sense you know there was there was this whole wrestling background to it so i got online i was like where's this thing at found it so (laughs) it's it is um, amazing. <laughs> so this is, uh, I should have gotten my tablet ready here. Uh, it is Detective Comics uh, number 355. Sorry, I'm coming back to the beginning here. This is September number 355, and it is Batman's Holy Gallows, Batman's Life Hanging by a Thread. And the cover, beautiful cover. It's uh, the, the main bad guy is the hooded hangman or the hangman. And you see him sitting there with his uh, wrestling tights on, no shirt, gloves, and a hood. And he's just holding Batman by his cape and cowl. And it says, here, take back your champion, Gotham City. From now on, the hooded hangman is top man in town. Such a great story, going along with the wrestling idea. So you get your splash page uh, at the very beginning. I'm just going to read a little bit and then just describe it as we're going along. So this is the great part. What was the hangman's game? What was the puzzler which baffled Batman and Robin during a week of startling surprises, explosive excitement, and curious clues? A week which began simply enough at the wrestling matches in Gotham City Arena, but which swiftly developed into the strangest and most forbidding contest of Batman's entire career when he became the victim of the hate of the hooded hangman. (laughs) So, (laughs) And what you see is the picture it shows is Batman struggling and this hangman is 
got him in a uh, a full Nelson, and even Batman, he's thinking to himself, the hangman has snapped a full Nelson on me. One of his wrestling holds got to break it, or he'll break my neck. Basically, just to show you how old wrestling is, you always, you know, because I'm a kid of the 80s, you know, Saturday morning wrestling, that was it, WWF, but it oh, yeah. actually been around for years before that. I mean, there's old black and white film of these guys wrestling because they were like circus strongmen. And in this comic, in this detective comics, so basically uh, Bruce Wayne, Dick Grayson are at the wrestling match. They're they're at the Gotham uh, City Arena. This uh, hangman is basically the champion. He's been challenged by all these wrestlers. He keeps defeating them. And his thing is, if you defeat him, the hangman, you get to unmask him and find out who he is. So the the first match uh, that they show is up against um, the Arizona Apache, obviously a, a guy who's an Apache. <laughs> half the crowd is booing for uh, is booing at the hangman. The other half is cheering on the Apache because they want him to beat the hangman uh, so they can all see who he is. Back and forth, back and forth. Uh, they're wrestling. Even at one point, Dick asks Bruce, hey, do you think Apache can win, Bruce? And Bruce says, I'm rooting for him, Dick. Like all other fans here, I'd sure like to see the hangman finally or unmasked finally. So they're going back and forth. The Apache, you know, hits the hangman with a tomahawk punch. And then uh, all of a sudden the hangman gets gets behind him and he's doing an illegal move called the hangman's knot, which you look at the illustration, you're kind of like, what is he doing? He's basically choke hold of the Apache, picks him up and just slams him down on the mat. And he wins. <laughs> so he that's just, that's the legal move. It's yeah, illegal. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> that's his finishing move, but it's illegal. And someone in the crowd's like, "It's illegal! Stop the fiend!" <laughs> so it's so legal they gave it its own name. So the funny thing, he slams him down, and then the ref counts him out: two, three. The hangman wins, you know, because he gets pinned. And I love the guy at the crowd. You know, go hang yourself, hangman. So with wrestling, you have to have that heel who is the bad guy. If you don't know wrestling terms, you have the yep. heel. And he is the bad guy. And then you have the face, who is the good guy. So a heel and face. So obviously they do a good job. And and when you see the history of wrestling, it's like they always had a heel. They always had a face. And it's great kind of seeing it in a Batman comic, honestly. So so as the audience is filing out, you know, because they're like, oh, we still don't know the hangman's identity. Dick tells Bruce, hey, we're supposed to be two of the world's greatest detectives as Batman and Robin. Why don't we give ourselves the assignment of uncovering the hangman's secret identity? And Bruce goes, I see what you mean, Dick. It's tempting. <laughs> yeah. so, Instead of solving yeah. real crimes, let's yeah. let's solve the secret identity of uh, yeah. this wrestler. So, yeah, so they're sitting there talking, standing on the street, and Bruce goes, but if we did, it would have to be in our spare time, see? And for our own private satisfaction. We couldn't tell anyone else about it. That would be unethical. <laughs> <laughs> so, wait, we're going to use our detective skills, figure it out, but we can't tell anyone. It's unethical. Right. And, you know, Dick's like, well, that suits me. So they get home, whatever. Bruce is getting ready to go out. And he's like, and Dick is like, hey, do I need to suit up? You're going. He's like, no, you need to stay home and study. You've got some tests coming up and so forth. Batman's cruising down the road uh, in his Batmobile, which I love the style of Batmobile from this time period. Oh, yeah. It's just such a classy look. You know, it's it's just good. And as he's driving, he hears a burglar alarm go off. It's right in front of the pawn shop. So he jumps out and sees a guy running down the alley and he goes, great guns. It's it's the hangman. Batman basically tackles him and they start fighting, going back and forth, back and forth. And there's some banter in between them. And uh, the hangman's like, I didn't break in. I'm innocent. And Batman's like, why are you trying to run away? Hangman's like, there's nothing illegal about running away. You picked the wrong man on nab, Batman. So punching back and forth. And eventually the hangman has Batman in a airplane spin. 
is what Batman calls it as he's up over the hangman's head. And the hangman tosses him into a lamppost and just crushes the lamppost. It just, just knocks him out cold. Hangman's getting ready to go take off Batman's mask. Police sirens. Hangman takes off. So could have unmasked him, but he didn't uh, because of the police sirens. So the next day at breakfast, uh, Dick and Bruce are talking about that. And Dick's like, well, you're going to tell the commissioner about it? And he goes, no, I, I don't really know if it was him. We're going to just keep monitoring it. Nobody knows the identity, so the police couldn't do anything about it. But then Bruce is reading a newspaper and says, hey, there's an anonymous tip that these two guys were the ones who broke into the pawn shop. And so they were arrested. And it came out, yeah, it was the two guys who did it. Bruce is like, well, why was Hangman running away then? Once again, Bruce goes out, leaves um, Dick at home to study. And uh, he hears somebody call, help, please help. And it's behind a building. Well, there's the hangman again. So now they get into another fight. And this is where uh, somehow they're fighting and the hangman gets him into a full Nelson, which is one of his wrestling holds. Batman shows you how to get out of a full Nelson. I've never tried this. And I should have known this when I was a kid with my older brothers. But so if you know what a full Nelson is, basically somebody wraps their arms up underneath their armpits and then put their arms behind your neck. Well, he doesn't actually have it right because right. his arms are over top of his arms. Yeah, he's over the shoulder right. So it's that's why this doesn't work because, uh, yeah, a full Nelson, which is we call a chicken wing, like a half Nelson's chicken wing. So, so basically his arms are up there, then Bruce hits the elbows and they go up. Well, the only reason you're able to escape from that is because it's not really a full Nelson, like you're saying, Bill. It's like right. a full Nelson is under the armpits, and so forth. Then we get to another punching back and forth. And so punching, punching, Batman knocks him down. And then the next moment, a surprise move. And there's a door the hangman just runs through and he locks it. So it's just randomly there. Batman's like locked. He must have had this way out ready just in case he needed it. He's given me the slip again. So, so now you're going like, wait a minute. Is the hangman planning to meet up with Batman at these occasions? Like randomly? Oh, that was the other thing I forgot to mention is that during before the fight, as he's talking, Bruce was thinking in his head, his voice sounded familiar. And yet it isn't as if he's trying to disguise his real voice. So it's a voice Bruce could recognize, but you could tell it's kind of a little different, you know, not so much as like Christopher Nolan's Batman. <laughs> oh, right. With, uh, <laughs> You know, the growling gravelly and then just plain normal. But it's got enough in it that you could recognize the voice would be the thing. So and when I say Christian uh, Christopher Nolan's Batman, obviously, I mean, Christian Bell playing Christopher Nolan's Batman. So people don't get mad at me. I love that Batman. So no, (laughs) (laughs) but Bruce being a detective, recognize the voice and him and Dick are talking the next morning. And Dick's like, man, this hangman thing is really bothering Bruce because he's not even watching our not even listening to our favorite newscaster. (laughs) Telman Davis. So Telman Davis is a newscaster, obviously on the news, since they're talking. And all of a sudden Bruce is like, that voice, it reminds me of great guns. No wonder I thought the hangman's voice was familiar. It's the newscaster. And you can see there's a an abrasion on the newscaster's cheek. And Bruce is like, that's where I hit him. <laughs> so so he figures out, wait a minute, this newscaster is the hangman. Batman decides, okay, I'm going to go out. I got to deal with this. And Dick's like, do you want me to go with you again? He's like, no, nope, this is personal. So like, Dick does not get to be involved in this adventure at all. <laughs> it's like you stay home, do your homework. Yeah, he's stuck at home the whole time. Yeah. He's told, uh, you need to study. Yep. <laughs> so then Bruce gets in his Batman gear. And my favorite is, is once Bruce is in his Batman gear, Dick starts calling him Batman. If you've never noticed that in the old comics, outside of costume, it's always Bruce. So this is here. He's in the house. He goes, I sure wish you luck, Batman. <laughs> and it's like... <laughs> 
It's one thing when you read these old comics, you go, oh, I got it, man. That's cool. Back then, it was always. Is he giving him a salute? It almost looks like he's giving I don't know him a salute. It kind of does. I think he's scratching his head, but yeah, it's like, and there you go. Yeah. Basically, what happens now is that Batman decides to go to the wrestling match in public, which. If you know me, I'm not a fan of Batman being out in the open in public. I, I, I like the mystery of Batman, but different comics, different time. Obviously, this is where it's kind of where Batman 66 got a lot of its lead was from this run of detective comics and all that, where Batman is this figure out in the public. Everybody saw him. So then Batman starts showing up for different events. So here's Batman at the wrestling event. Sitting in the first row. Totally right up front <laughs> at Gotham City Arena. So what happens is... Um, the hangman, you don't really see the match, but he defeats another opponent. The hangman walks over to him and goes, Batman, if you're game, we'll settle the quarrel between us tonight. And Batman says, I'm game, hangman. And the hangman leans over and goes, good, here's what I propose. Listen, and just starts whispering in his ear. And all of a sudden, Batman gets up, and both Batman and the hangman just walk through the hallway and leave. Next you know is that hangman is picked oh, soon under a pale moon in mid-city. So they must have went for a long walk, or I'm not sure, <laughs> but... They go up on the rooftop. Hangman's, I picked on this rooftop to give us room and privacy. We're alone here. There's no one to interfere. And as he's saying that, the next panel shows a family, like some, not a family, just some guys like, oh, look, the Batman and Hangman, they're battling it on the rooftop. <laughs> so they're able to see this match. One guy says, wow, we, we got a ringside seat to the greatest fight of the year. They're fighting, fighting. And then suddenly the hooded wrestler man manages to obtain his dreaded infamous hold on his opponent which is the hangman's knot gets it into it. Then we see him holding Bruce by his cowl and his cape tosses him down here. I here take back your champion Gotham city. I'm finished with him. Some of these words remind me of Bane and the dark Knight rises <laughs> just because right. you're a champion Gotham, you know, and all this stuff. So, <laughs> but then he goes, but first there's a matter to take care of the victor's right of taking off the Batman's mask. As he goes to take off the cowl, you go to the next panel, and it's the face of Tillman Davies, the news announcer. <laughs> so the hangman's like, what? Suddenly, so Bruce jumps up. He goes, just as I hoped, this little trick of mine, making up my face to look like Tillman Davies, gave me the breathing spell I needed to get back to get on my feet and back into this fight again. Done his makeup to look like Tillman Davies, the newscaster, who's supposed to be the hangman. Gets up, and as mil as muscles like steel cables mesh in perfect union with explosive effect, and just smacks the hangman, knocks him out cold, and unmasks the hangman, and there it is, Tillman Davies. So, yeah. So one guy's like, the hangman is out cold, unmask him, take off his hood, Batman, you've won the right. And he goes, Tillman Davies, again? Because the crowd's like trying to figure out what's going on. Later it shows uh, the dynamic duo is, they're talking to Commissioner Gordon. And Batman's telling him, and the truth is, Commissioner, that the hangman resolved to become the most famous secret identity personality in Gotham City. But in order to achieve that aim, he had to eliminate me, his chief masked rival. So basically, Tillman Davies wanted to be the biggest masked person in Gotham. So he thought, well, I got to take out Batman <laughs> to do this. And he was setting up the crimes intentionally to get Batman there so he could fight him and unmask him. So he wasn't committing crimes, but he was setting it up so he could unmask him but basically Tellman Davies leaves you know Gordon says yes he's gone from Gotham City Batman and Robin due to his actions he lost his TV, TV job and I think we could all say good riddance and then finally the last two panels is on a boat bound for South America an embittered figure stands at the rail <laughs> staring toward an unseen horizon he's doing a soliloquy here when I think that I could have exposed Batman's secret identity 
Instead of his exposing mine, on our very first encounter near the pawn shop, after I knocked him out, I almost had the mask of my hated rival then. But suddenly that police siren sounded. I should have ignored it. They had nothing on me. But instead, I ran. I panicked. Lost my nerve. That was my trouble. I lost my nerve and my chance with it. Yeah. And that's how it ends. <laughs> it was like, it's like Batman and Robin solve a case. It really wasn't a case. And then we get some soliloquy from the bad guy who really wasn't a bad guy. He's just a wrestler acting. So. No, not, not really, <laughs> just because he wanted to know who Batman's secret identity right. was. and Exactly. He wanted yes. to be the only one in town with a secret identity, I guess. Yeah, so not really a bad guy. He truly was just a heel, if you think of it that way. So just a fun read. And, and like I said, so I've been going back just watching WWE Network, so that's why a lot of this is old matches and stuff, and it was just right. kind of great to find a Batman comic that was like, oh, oh yeah, there's a wrestling one. I remember this. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> now, there were some parts in here that make you laugh out loud. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> really oh. corny. Really corny so-called villain, anti-villain. Never to be seen again, I would assume. A one-and-done right. type of story. And you have Robin in there, but Robin is just... Oh, we should find out who this hangman is, but <laughs> Batman never lets him do anything. Yep. Except study. Maybe he's behind on his studies or something. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's pretty interesting and goofy. It feels like Batman 66. The actual cover date on it was 1966. Okay, so, was it six, Okay, gotcha. So that makes sense because the way the cow looks, the way that Commissioner Gordon looks... Oh, looks just like Batman 66. Totally, yeah. 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 So, yeah, it is entertaining. I mean, I think uh, to put wrestling and comics together is is a good idea. Maybe not all Mm -hmm. the time, but it it was a good idea, and the way it was written back then was pretty corny. And, you know, they have Batman with Robin the Boy Wonder on the cover. Well, Robin was in there. (laughs) Yeah, but he was just at home all the time, yeah. At home. Yeah, but the great thing, though, is, and I always go back to things like this, is I love the art. I love individual panels like this. That's why I love classic comics so much. It's just kind of neat. It's it's We don't see layouts like this much anymore, so it's it's nice to go back and see this. I love new art. I love the new stuff that's coming out, that's been coming out. I truly do appreciate one page and, like, seven panels on one page, and then there's five on this one. And they're all just the little squares broken up, which is great. It's just a fun way to read comics, you know, kind of like when I was a kid, basically. Not not from the 60s, though. I wasn't born, so. Right. It actually <laughs> makes digital reading kind of easy. Oh, totally. In yeah. comparison yep. of some of the panels they have today. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's like that spread. And you're like, okay, now I got to shift over. Yeah. So. Right. But yeah, again, so that was uh, Detective Comics number 355 was my old comic. Uh, a lot of fun. Definitely if you're a fan of wrestling, even if you're not a fan of wrestling, just old Batman comics, it's a fun one to read. So Absolutely. Yep. I do agree. In the great hall of the Justice League, there are assembled the world's four greatest heroes. Created from the cosmic legends of the universe, Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, 
Aquaman. Let's go ahead and we'll head to my old book. And my old book, you know, uh, stood out to me because my love for Super Friends in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Like seeing all the different superheroes all together fighting the villains. And when I saw this cover, I was on the DC app and I saw this cover and it's like, okay, I got to read this one. Because <laughs> it on the cover, actually, it's Justice League of America number 190 mm-hmm. from May 1981. Your writer's Jerry Conway, artist Rich Buckler, Bob Smith, and Larry Monstet. Letterer John Costanza and colorist Gene D'Angelo. In your cover, it's Starro versus the Justice League of America and the world's his slaves. And you have Starro on the cover with all the Justice League with the little miniature stars covering their faces. They've been turned into zombies and you see hundreds of people behind them that have been turned into zombies also. And I can't say I've been a big Starro reader over the years. I don't remember really too many stories with him. He's kind of a ridiculous villain from what I've come across. He's, it would never happen. I mean, it could happen, but it probably would never happen. (laughs) Right. But as we jump into this book, it's actually part two of a two-part story. And just to catch you up in the first part of the story, uh, the Justice League villain Starro's back. He's taken over New York and some of the Justice Leaguers. He's taken over Superman, Wonder Woman, Black Canary, Green Lantern and Red Tornado. They have a little miniature star over their faces. And Starro has found a way to replicate himself by the millions. And each of these little stars are attaching to the victim. And he's able to possess them, basically. So real quick, uh, the cover, does that not look like Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy from SpongeBob? Yeah, unfortunately. (laughs) I wonder if they got the idea from that or... Like the look of it? So, Yeah. yeah, I'm just... (laughs) it's just one of those things when you look at the cover you're like oh my gosh (laughs) I'll let you get back sorry yep that's okay that's okay no that's funny no uh, Star Wars has taken over Manhattan as we start in this book we see a dozen small Coast Guard vessels two nuclear powered subs and two Navy destroyers are joined by seven members of the Justice League it's Elongated Man The Flash Hawkman Hawk Girl Aquaman, Zatanna, and Batman. The guy in charge, the colonel, the whatever that guy is, he looks pretty official. He basically says he talked to the president, and the president wants New York destroyed by <laughs> <laughs> if they cannot yeah. stop him by tonight. So they're gonna level New York. They'll just throw a couple bombs, blow yeah. up New York. They, they didn't really need it anyway. Oh my goodness. So the remaining Justice Leaguers, they actually want a chance with the time they have left to save the city before those bombs go off and destroy the city. So uh, they're given a chance to do that. We switch over and we see Starro is taking over Grand Central Station. And he's actually using Firestorm to change the terminal floor from marble to electricity conducting steel. Superman actually tears up the energy charged third rail 
and connects it to the transformer that Green Lantern has created with his ring and connects that transformer to the steel floor again. And the electricity through that third rail actually is goes right in to Starro so he can make these replicates of himself. Mm-hmm. So he they're just like zombies, whatever he thinks they're, they they do that. We also see Red Tornado there and he kind of sneaks out of the Grand Central Station there without being noticed at first. And he basically tells everybody, he says, due to Starro's ignorance of the current roster, I'm able to escape because the first time they battled Starro, Red Tornado wasn't a part of that team, so he doesn't realize that he's an android and can't be controlled like everybody else. But mm-hmm. he nearly escapes, and then he gets lassoed by Wonder Woman's, you know, magic lasso. And she attempts to bring him back and be absorbed into Starro and accept him as his master. A little fight there, T- Tornado makes, well, a real small fight, because Tornado, <laughs> he makes an escape, he just has a vortex blast, and he's out of there. So he believes that he's the only one on the job, gets get rid of Starro and, and save the city. So, Meanwhile, the, the other Justice Leaguers are actually meeting up, deciding uh, what they want to do, and, and Hawkman has worked up these repeller discs for each hero, and they will repel the miniature starfishes, which is, is similar to a device he used on Thangar to protect himself from insects. <laughs> Yep. Using a sonic field and beta level radiation. I have no idea what that means, but it sounds good. They could have just used some (laughs) raid or something, you know, if it's just bug spray, but who knows? Yeah. (laughs) So so the team splits up. Aquaman heads to New York Bay, Hawkman, Hawkgirl to the skies, and Zatanna, Flash, Bat, Elongated Man form an attack squad. Next, we're at a food market, and we see Terry Watson, who was actually in the issue previously, and he's the one that found a piece of Starro on the end of his fishing rod when he went fishing, <laughs> and he brought it home, and it attacked him. It took over him. It took over his mother and father. He actually woke up at, out of this trance when he walked into this freezer. Mm-hmm. So, back to Aquaman, who discovers with his fish that boats are being controlled by Starro, are trying to leave the city, and he commands thousands of fish to push tons of seaweed to stop the boats by clogging their propellers. That's a lot of seaweed. <laughs> That's a lot that is seaweed. a lot. That's <laughs> a lot. And then he, he yeah. goes and takes out people on the ship, beats them up, or whatever. And then we, we're back and we see this eyeball, this giant stretched out eyeball of elongated man. And he's checking some of the subway tracks and tunnels. Gives the all clear and uh, he says, it's deader than a banker's conscience. <laughs> Which, what? This is like, you know, late 70s, early 80s. <laughs> I guess bankers were, were known for trying to cheat you or something. I don't know. Bankers, lawyers, nobody ever yeah. liked them. Yeah, you know? <laughs> no, yeah, no, it doesn't seem that way. So there is a moment, you know, the one thing you get in these books, or this particular book during this time, is you start to get the sort of soap opery type of, you know, ongoing story. And I like to see, you know, things that happen in previous books, and it's noted here, like Flash and Zatanna have this moment of uncomfortable silence. They have some kind of romantic interlude or something that, 
they don't want to discuss or do anything mm-hmm. about. And you see elongated man actually wondering if anything is going on. And Batman's like, oh, it's none of our business. <laughs> anyway, yeah. uh, Starro's <laughs> taking over the world, and they're getting ready to blow up New York, and you're worried about what's going on with Flash and Zatanna. Yep. So suddenly the the team is swarmed by Starro replicates Zatanna uses her reverse magic spell and Flash uses his arms to create a mini vortex to rid themselves of the starfish. Zatanna has a dizzy spell that is noticed by Ralph and she swears him to secrecy and not to tell the others. And this is another ongoing theme that has shown up from previous issues and you actually see it in the following issue about her losing some of her magic powers and this has something to do with it which is kind of interesting. And then everybody splits up as they end Grand Central Station. They're going to go and try to save the other heroes and then take out Starro. You see the Red Tornado. He enters the Northeast Power Grid that's under Starro's control. He takes out the guys that's under control, destroys the Transformer that provides electricity to the entire rail system in New York, trying to end the, the Starro's source of power he's feeding off of. But he gets electrocuted and knocked out in the process. And he's laying unconscious there. And then, which the one scene that didn't make a lot of sense to me <laughs> is Hawkman and Hawkgirl throw a net over a fling helicopter mm-hmm. to destroy the <laughs> propellers. A rope net doesn't appear like it would destroy propellers like it did there and totally take the propellers and they're like gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unless it was like a metal net or something, but... They come on to the market and they find this young Terry Watson in the freezer there. And back on the subway, we see Batman confronts Black Canary, which leads to a hand-to-hand combat fight where Batman knocks her out. After a pretty good fight going back and forth, uh, they mention they're pretty much on the same level, but Batman had the upper hand because he's not being controlled. And as he tries to remove the starfish, he's un- he realizes he's unable to do it because it's so attached that it would kill her if he took it. actually took it off. Red Tornado awakes and throws himself into the circuit board in the ultimate self-sacrifice. Not really, but... Right, yeah. <laughs> you gotta have some drama here, so... Totally, yeah. <laughs> which takes out all the power in the subway system and his star wondering, where did his food go? <laughs> Where's my food? And then the Justice League finally confronts Starro. Everybody has been freed of his control. Hawkman explains that his defeat is due to the youngster Terry Watson, which they found in the food freezer free of the Starro's mental control. The intense cold freedoms from Starro's influence. So Zaytana casts a spell of chilled air around to free the others. So Firestorm and Green Lantern attack Starro and turn him into a frozen lake, basically. <laughs> Elongated man at the end there wonders if there's a market for frozen starfish on a stick. <laughs> okay, right up front. The one thing that I don't get. Okay, I get that Firestorm can change the molecules from air to fr- being f- able to freeze the star. But mm-hmm. what is Green Lantern doing? Can he make right. ice? No, I, he makes constructs. So, yeah, yeah, it's like, what the heck's he doing? <laughs> yeah, so don't get that one. No. 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 <laughs> don't get that one. But, yeah, it was a pretty... 
I, I like the story overall. I like I like the two issues. Oh yeah. I didn't read the the first appearance with Starro in it, so I don't know, but it sounded like these little replicates, this was the first book for the replicates to show up, but I'm not 100% sure. Mm-hmm. I know this book had three different artists on it. I didn't really notice. It didn't No, it's all pretty close to the same. I yeah, mean, yeah. 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 Uh, I didn't really notice the difference. Uh the art is great. It's that old school art. I love the way Hawkman is drawn, especially you can see his, you know, hawk eyes. I yep. love the way the old school Hawkman has like the hawk looking eyes. The interaction between some of the heroes, especially like Elongated Man, had his humor in it. It didn't have mm-hmm. too much humor, but it had enough. <laughs> they had just his eyeball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it had enough to get you to chuckle. <laughs> You look at that image, and you're like, who decided, okay, instead of, like, extending his neck, right? <laughs> let's do, let's do now, his eyeball, it had, great, I like, though. I like seeing these different heroes that you don't see. Like, Justice League book today, we have the big seven, and it's the same mm-hmm. people every time. For the oh, yeah, last, yeah. I don't know how many years. I love seeing these B-list characters. Mm-hmm. Aquaman, we see him. He's A-list, but... You know, you see him being used and his powers being used. Mm -hmm. And even way back then, it's cool to see. And, you know, in these um, Super Friends cartoons, you saw that kind of thing. You see the Red Tornado, how he's being used because he's an android. And Zaytana being used and using her backward magic and that sort of thing. So Yeah, I know. The classic Justice League stuff's great. Again, I know we've talked about it before. When you've got a story arc... Two issue, three issue story arc, wonderful. It's good to have a, you know, let's say we have a year long event story arc, but to have a continuous like, oh, and then it's again, it's again. That's why I like these. Hey, look, we can get this really great story in, and two issues. You know, we've got this this threat that came in, and the first issue it takes it up, and the second issue we resolve it, which is which is great, I think. So, and there's so but, much yeah. story in that one issue. There's a yeah. lot of story. Yeah, it seems like sometimes today's comics. You can read it and you're done in five minutes. This is yeah. not a five minute read. Mm-mm. I mean, no. if you go through it, it it does take you longer. Yeah, and I think well, the one thing too, not to knock today's comics, but I think a lot of today's comics are more art driven versus story driven. Yeah, that's a good thing and a bad thing. You know, I know I said in the past with like some comics, like the art is gorgeous. I could just look at the art and the story could suck, but. Uh, I, I, I want a mingling of both. I love classic comic art. That's what I started reading. So when you get a good story inside of it, it it's great, you know. So, but I, 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 again, I think my favorite part of this still is the elongated man's freaking eyeball just going. Oh, right. Like, just the images, like, <laughs> would you see that in today's comics? Probably not. So, yeah, that's what and, I'm thinking. I mean, really, the editor's like, oh, you know what? That's good. Let's keep it. <laughs> let's keep, <laughs> let's keep his eyeball. Just going around a corner and looking at stuff. So yeah, but yeah, he hasn't shown up in a lot of books lately, anyway. So no, you know, no. Uh, the seriousness of comics is is in a different scale. Let's let's oh let's yeah. be more I, violent. Let's let's be more yeah. Serious. Comics comics used to be about escapism, and then they went away from that. And it was like, no, I, I read comics to escape. I want I want good guys beating up bad guys and winning. But that's a that's a whole nother discussion. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Welcome, kiddies. Would you like to dance to death? All you have to do is come to the Crypt Keeper's party 
A monster bash, if you will. Come on down! So we go ahead and head to your new book. That's right. Oh, yes. All right. So uh, for my new book, uh, a few episodes ago, I had um, re- not reviewed. We don't really review. I mean, we just discuss um, Lock and Key, the the first one for that. If you know me and uh, I, I, I love horror, like I grew up on slashers. I love slashers. So anytime a good horror comic comes out, I'm always giving it a try. And uh, Joe Hill, who wrote Lock and Key, uh, DC Comics ended up doing this whole thing with um, Hill House Comics. Uh, which they describe as a pop-up line dedicated, a pop-up line dedicated to bone-chilling horror. Basically, is what they're doing. Um, DC in the past has tried things like this. Um, if you look through any tribe, they try to do a reset or revamp. They're like, "Hey, let's do a set of comics that don't have superheroes or completely out of the." You know, it's like what ten years ago when they brought back Haunted Tank, uh, Sergeant Rock, and all those. They they tried bringing them back in this series. It just didn't take off. Thankfully, this um, the Joe Hill series that they're doing, the Hill House Comics, has been doing pretty well. Have you read any of the other ones of these, uh, Bill? I've read the Dollhouse Family. Okay. I read this one. I'm trying to think. There was a couple others that I tried. Sure. And so, like, Lock and Key, which was the big one, kind of, like, not it wasn't in Hill House Comics, but that kind of put Joe Hill out there. Obviously, Netflix picked it up. I think it was Netflix. And yep. it's an amazing series <laughs> if you haven't watched it. Yeah. And it's got the – it's already been greenlit for a season two. It's really good. So it's really kind of neat because you get the, a little bit of a horror comics to it. So – and I, I'm really enjoying it. They do a great job with the art, the storyline. And when Basketful of Heads came out, because it's on issue six now, it's been crazy good. So, yeah, issue six is what it's up now. One thing I will tell people, this is an, it's an, an ages 17 plus. Obviously, there's violence. This issue really doesn't have any violence in it, um, but there is language and innuendo. You know, it's funny. We just talked about we I, meaning I just said I like comics that are escapism. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not counteracting what I said is. I like superhero comics as escapism, I guess, if that makes yeah. more sense. It might so, be a little violent in upcoming issues. Oh, it does get there. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, this issue, not much violence. Later issues, yes. Like, we'll, we'll just go over it here. So, yes, this is Basket Full of Heads. And this is actually my favorite. So, I really like Lock and Key. But so far, this has been my favorite series that by Joe Hill. It's just been – it's been – Crazy, weird, and crazy. Fun. I mean, you got to think. <laughs> he went to DC and says, "Hey, I want to do a story, basket full of heads," and gave the premise. And they're like, "Oh yeah, yeah go ahead. That sounds good." <laughs> yeah. Well, it's kind of like you know when they brought Scott Snyder on years ago, and he was more of a horror comic right. background with right. American Vampire and kind of did stuff. So there is a room for horror comics. Again, being a fan of horror, I mean, I'm an old school Tales from the Crypt. I've you know talked about those, so I do like horror and comics, but it has to be done well, and these are done really well. But yeah, for DC, you'd be like, okay, so it's on the black label, and they call it Joe Hill House uh, Hill House Comics. So I uh, actually saw him about a month ago. I went oh, awesome. To, I went to the Comic-Con in Chicago, C2E2, and oh, he nice. was very entertaining. I'd try anything that he writes just because he seems like a heck of a, a nice guy, and he is so entertaining. They had him on a panel with, like, a half a dozen, you know, creators on there, and he stole the show, absolutely. Oh, awesome. 
Absolutely. That's great. So I'll have to see if to look up some interviews on them. So, but yeah, so here we go. We got basket full of heads. It's written by Joe Hill, illustrated by Leo Max. It's been colored by Dave Stewart and lettered by Deron Bennett. And then obviously basket full of heads is created by Joe Hill. So he's created this. The great thing about it, when you look at the cover, it's, you know, it's going to be messed up because the cover is somebody standing there in a rain slicker and it is heavy rain holding this ax that will come into play later in this issue. And then there's a basket, like a picnic basket with a torn cloth over it with an eyeball peeking out. (laughs) (laughs) So you just kind of like, okay. The A in heads is stylized with the head, the ax head in it too. So, and it's actually a flag that's torn over the uh, basket. So it basically starts off with this person in this rain slicker walking across a bridge and there's two voices talking from this basket, you know, what did I tell you? What did I tell you? The other head says, it's not me. I'm not doing it. Well, we're assuming it's heads. You don't see it, but it's heads. Right. Uh, in the basket. So. And then it says, I said, if your tongue was anywhere near my ear, I didn't. I wouldn't. Hey, no biting, no biting. So there's these two heads in this basket as somebody's carrying it along. Heavy rain across this bridge. And it looks like they're getting ready to dump them over the side of this bridge. And a truck pulls up, says, hey there, you know. It's an awful early to be out in this weather. What you doing? Uh, what you got there in that basket? And that's it. It doesn't. Nothing else happens right there. They do, and then you get the the cover splash page. Basically, basket full of heads and the you know uh, everything there. But the greatest thing, one thing I really like about this comic, and now it transitions transitions in time. And you could tell even in the art style, they went from these like a darker, harsh tone to a softer, light tone uh, with where we're at. And then it says before, and there's a bridge, and we can assume it's the same bridge, Brody Island, Maine, and then September 1983. If you do not get the Brody Island hint, you need to watch Jaws is all I'm saying. So it's <laughs> so they, it's got some Jaws references in a sense to like Chief Brody or Sheriff Brody. Was Brody a sheriff or a chief? Which one was he? I can't remember it offhand. I don't remember it. But, yeah, you know, anyway. all, all Stephen King's books are, are written in that area. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's and it's very a King S style. Well, and if you look at Joe Hill, he kind of looks like a young Stephen King. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, on this bridge and there's this girl sitting on the rail of the bridge and a um, she's like, oh, look at all the trash down there because she's looking down off the bridge because I see a tire, someone's panties and about a trillion rusted beer cans. Goes funny, though, even junk looks pretty when you've got the right light and this cop pulls up. But the cops like in a VW bug dune buggy type thing says Brody Island police and they start talking back and forth a little bit. And then you could tell, Oh wait, there are a couple they're flirting back and forth. And he's like, well, I'm off of work now. It's, you know, five Oh five. My, my shift as a cop is officially over. Cause basically you find out this cop was um, just working for the summer, basically parking enforcement is what he's done for the summer job. And the girl who was sitting up on the bridge is his girlfriend. So uh, they just have some flirting back and forth. Now, one thing about the art on this I love some of the new style of arts we see in comics like this. And it's hard to describe because I am i don't know different art styles and stuff. I wouldn't call it sharp lines. Like you get that dark and sharp and angular. This is that soft rounded. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's just a nice, refreshing new style. And, and that not, I, a, I, not a lot of heavy inks on it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they're talking. He takes his badge off. They kiss, and there's kind of a panoramic shot, and they drive off because he goes, I stopped being a cop five minutes ago. Summer's over, babe. And she says, well, not quite yet. It isn't, and gives him a kiss. 
So anyway, they're driving in the dune buggy. He's getting ready to go turn the car in and his, his shirt and everything. Because again, he was just a, an officer for the summer working, uh, directing traffic and handing out parking tickets is what he says. And uh, they're just having discussions back and forth. And she goes, you know, talking here and there. Labor Day weekend's coming up with all this big money coming in town. She goes, oh, hey, that reminds me. How much dough did you make this summer? And he goes, well, three fifty an hour, a little over 30 hours a week. The funny part, she goes, wait, you didn't leave out all the money you made from bribes. Anyone ever try to buy you off with sexual favors? And this is a funny line. He goes, just your mom. Obviously, it's a mom joke, but <laughs> it worked out pretty well. <laughs> so... I'm not going to tell you what she said next, but it's pretty funny. Again, mature comic on what she says there. So, so again, just some good banter and writing. Then she starts talking about, hey, if we pulled our money together, we could buy our own car for them to have a car because apparently they don't have a car. And he goes, hey, that'd be great, but I can't do that. They lived in a, you know, living in a small resort town actually cost him more money than he was making, basically. So not enough money to pull it together. She kind of gets upset. They're fine. And you could tell they're leaving out of town because there's a big banner that says, thanks for another another great summer above town. And more talking about, you know, his cost while he was living there and everything. It just cost so much. It just didn't make a lot of money. So, again, they're talking, driving along. And he's talking about how uh, she makes some joke comment like, oh, I could have jumped off that bridge. He goes, uh, no, you wouldn't want to. Um, basically how it's horrendous what he had to see just being basically a traffic cop. You know, he, they didn't tell you him about that side of the job where, hey, I need you to just do this. But, oh, by the way, we had this jumper. Can you come help it out with it? And he talks about how it was pretty gruesome. Uh, didn't have to deal about it. And he said that after that, he at the end of his shift, he just said, I'm done. I don't want to deal with this. His girlfriend then goes, well, I guess he pinned the badge right back on your chest because he said he took the badge off, said, I'm done. I don't want to do this. And uh, the sheriff said he asked if I'd take a day and think about it. He said a police officer gets paid to be there for someone in their worst hour. And that I'd been there for her, even though she didn't know it. So basic traffic cop. But, you know, he experiences some of what being an officer actually is. So it's really just kind of a character development of this of his character. And they do a good job for an entry comic rather than just like, hey, here's this guy. And boom, it's like, OK, we're going to it's a slow build for this first issue. Anyway, the idea behind the comic, they're just driving along. And they're looking and all of a sudden they stop and they're like, oh, my goodness. And you see a work van, a work release, not a work release, but the, like a chain gang van. And you got the sheriff's there. They got some prisoners down laying in their orange jumpsuits and a guy walking by with their shotgun. And basically you find out that four of the people that were out working with the sheriff's office escaped. They ran, escaped. Now you actually meet the sheriff. So Liam introduces June to the sheriff, his boss, because they had plans to go to the sheriff's house for dinner this e the evening for the last night in town. Go have dinner. This is the one where she, you know, meets Wade Clawson, who is the sheriff. And uh, they just kind of talk back and forth. And you could tell that the mayor is there because there's a big there's a big sign, Brody Island, where life is just a little bit sweeter. Hamilton Orchards, you know, and you see a picture of this guy who's apparently, you know, the mayor. And uh, he's worried about these four guys being on the loose because it's Labor Day weekend. And he's like, hey, we need to protect it. He keeps getting to the sheriff. We need to deal with this. Very, They're very dangerous and so forth. And the sheriff's more like, oh, we'll be fine. And he's talking to Liam and June. Yep, my wife's got dinner going, all this tonight, yada, yada. And the mayor um, was just like, very dangerous. Is go he's telling the sheriff they're very dangerous. And this is where the sheriff, which I'm just kind of like, okay. Very dangerous is going a bit far, Ned, who's the mayor. Four bozos saw their chance to beat feet and took it. We're looking for two dope heads, a drunk who ran someone over while he was under the influence, and a guy who pimped out his daughter from the back of a laundromat. 
ain't none of them exactly the Boston Strangler. And I was like, okay, you sheriff, you need to take for serious the last guy. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm just like, okay, so the other guy, yeah, it's all bad. But the last guy, I'm like, I would say dangerous. So, and uh, Ned is like, I've got two daughters, Wade, you know, get it taken care of. So Liam's like, hey, sheriff, do you need me to help? No, just go back to the house. I'm sure there's no issue, but just go back to the house and, you know, you just being there will help out basically with the sheriff's wife and, and, uh, their sons. So, uh, and he just tells him, you know, don't eat all the coleslaw. <laughs> so he tells him, you, you know, right. So Liam's like, yes, sir. I'm going to head straight over, takes off in the buggy with June, his girlfriend. So, so that's kind of there. They pull up this sheriff has an amazing house on the bay. It looks like, and there's, there's a big tropical storm moving in also just before the Labor Day weekend, just so you know. Well, we meet the sheriff's son, who um, is your typical what alpha jock male from the '80s movies, basically. Yeah, jerk think, wad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and of course, he's carrying a tennis racket and wearing a polo shirt. Yeah, because when he when uh, Liam shows up, he goes, "Liam, there you are. I've just been hitting out against the machine. I missed our usual afternoon game. Who's this, and where do I get one?" In reference to June, Liam's girlfriend. So they talk, and then all of a sudden, sheriff's wife shows up and. He introduces June to her and just kind of talking back and forth about dinner and, hey, there's these uh, talking about June going to college, too. She's a psych major and a little bit of discussion about that. And then it really just comes about how, yep, I heard from Wade, her husband. He's going to be late. We're just supposed to keep a plate for him. They're showing all of this. They go into this other room where it's kind of like a museum almost in the sheriff's house. The uh, sheriff's son gets really close to June in this panel. And it's like dad is very proud of the family's Norse heritage. He doesn't want to be buried. He wants us to put him on his boat, set him a f- set fire to it, and push him out to sea. There's like some armor. There's a, a dragon head from a mast of a Viking, from the bow of a Viking ship up on the wall, things like that. And June asks, is this stuff authentic? Uh, museum quality, all of it. The coins are ninth century. The axe is eighth. God knows where mom gets it all, but every anniversary. Now, the axe that we see at the beginning of the book that's being carried is sitting in there. It's kind of got this tree pattern on it, nice hit in his handle. And as they walk away, the tree looks like it's black on it. As they walk away, the tree starts glowing red. (laughs) So nobody notices it. It just kind of it's there for you to see. Now they're outside eating dinner and the maid is there and they're just talking about, oh, they're all full stuffed and all this. And all of a sudden the phone rings, which is um, it looks like it's supposed to be an old cell phone. But I don't remember cell phones in 83. I remember cordless phones, but this one looks like a cell phone. So who knows what it's supposed Might to be? Might be a cordless right? phone. I don't know. Yeah. It, it's designed to look, I mean, it, I think it's supposed to be a cordless phone, but it literally looks like or a like cell phone. like one of those old then. satellite phones, you know? Mm-hmm. The big brick with an antenna but on you, it. But you so. wouldn't think they're that rich. Right. He's a sheriff. That's yeah. <laughs> it's not like, and then, but she might have money because they have all these Viking artifacts basically. So who knows? Um, so anyway, the phone rings, the sheriff's wife is like, Oh my God. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Poor dear Marcy. And uh, she's like, okay, I'll get Liam for you on the phone. Well, what happened basically was a local, another guy, Mr. Uh, Noel Flanagan uh, was killed. And uh, they don't think it was the four guys that took off that killed him. Um, you see it. And then, the sheriff is like, they were stealing a boat. Noel was running to stop him and slipped on the steps. Whetstone, steep hill. He had every single riser on the way down. Clumsy dumbass is what he says. So basically, the four guys that escaped from the chain gang earlier were trying to steal a boat. This guy sees them, takes off running down to stop him from their little uh, dock, and he falls, hits every rock on the way down. Sheriff's wife was going to go talk to this Noel's guy's wife to let her know the news and what happened. 
And just again to tell Liam, hey, stay here. You know the you know the code to my gun safe. If you need to get it, just keep everyone safe at the house. And Liam's like, okay, I can do that. So uh, Liam and June are sitting on the couch just watching TV. They're just kind of talking about, yeah, it's not my last day. I, you know, last one last day. June makes a funny line. He goes, so June says, relieved if this weren't your last day, you'd be out there, and I'd be sick to my stomach worrying about you. And Liam says, got to get over that if I'm going to be doing this for a living. She goes, I don't know if I ever will. Nothing makes me physically ill like imagining something happening to you on the job, except for ska music, <laughs> which is hilarious. So, <laughs> it's, again, 1983, early ska music came into the, well, late 70s and early 80s. It was getting bigger, and it was just kind of funny because obviously Liam hates it. I mean, Liam likes ska music and June hates it, so she's just ribbing with him. So good, good banter between them. Well, they're sitting there, then they hear a thunk. And they don't know what it is. So Liam tells her to be quiet and they could hear somebody saying damn thing. So he tells her to get upstairs and go lock the, do- the door in the master bedroom. Now, all Liam has actually is a billy club. That's all he has. Nothing else. So he tells her to get upstairs, lock yourself in. And the next thing we see is Liam going down the stairs. The final page is um, June upstairs and there's two guys with flashlights in the orange jumper prison jumpers one has a crowbar and the other one has a gun and it says in one month the axe will fall so that's kind of where it ends so not a lot happening in the comic other than like character building which i really like hey here's june here's liam these are your main characters a little bit more about the sheriff and his wife not much about their son and that's kind of it and kind of what the small community is and it's a really good build up going into what the story will be. And if you continue reading it, it gets really good. So it's it's just a really well-written comic for uh, horror fans. So great art. Uh, the pacing was really good for a first issue that it didn't feel like anything was rushed, you know, for me. So, yeah. Yeah, I felt like this was one of the best first issues that I've read in a while. And sometimes yeah. people are impatient, especially mm-hmm. with comics. They want that first issue to have, like, a ton of things happening, get right into the story, but without this character development, you don't have a story. Depending on what kind of story you're writing. This kind of story, the character development was definitely needed. You have a lot of background on the character, and you're going into a... you, You sort of know what direction you're going into because it's been teased at the beginning. Mm hmm you, you you don't even need to know what this is about because, you know, you know enough from the beginning in the title, she has a basket full of heads. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, yep. they talk. <laughs> yeah. But another thing in this issue that I really like, after the last panel page, there's a page that has, you know, Joe Hill, and he... he it's oh, a yeah. little discussion about his first comic he picked up. And he has it right there, and it's called Ghosts. I mean, yep. if you were thinking of Joe Hill and the horror that he writes, what else would he have picked up? What other, you <laughs> yeah. know? Yeah. That'd be yeah, it. Ghost, yeah, Ghost was back from the time when DC did the House of Mystery and all that way right. back in the day. So right. There was some great try- horror back then. Oh, yeah, yeah, because they were taking the lead from EC Comics, you know, uh, Tells from the Crypt, Vault of Horror, which is Cauldron, and uh, that's when you know the Comics Code came out. And once that cleared up, DC's like, "Bam, we're going to start putting out stuff like that too." So it was great. Yeah, was, that's a good mention with Joe Hill and the, the copy of Ghost. It's like, yeah, I mean, there are good classic horror comics out there uh, if people want to read them. So yeah, and there's new ones that are great too. So <laughs> yeah, uh, and the other one that I read 
it didn't hit me as the story didn't hit me as much, but Daphne Byrne is uh drawn by Kelly Jones. And any <gasps> Batman fan is it? Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. Oh, oh. Yeah, that's Just, one I haven't read of his yet because yes. I've been reading all this other stuff. Oh my gosh, I did not know Jones. Yeah. I love Kelly Jones. Kelly Jones is long haired, pointy Batman. I mean, Reign of Blood. Was it night no Reign of Blood? Is that the yeah. the vampire one? Is it called Reign of Blood? Yeah. Uh, oh. Off the top of my head, I'm not 100, percent but yeah, that stylized blood. or is it rain? Not Reign of Terror, but anyway, Kelly Jones. Oh yeah. man, yeah, the Batman Dracula trilogy is just amazing. So, <laughs> so yeah, talking about this book again, if there were any characters that you really love besides the main character, don't get it too attached. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. There's a reason. Yeah, this is like your horror movies. Everyone's gonna die. So I mean, <laughs> it's just get used to it. Yeah. Which is great, though. So, yeah. so but it would definitely be interesting. Yeah, and if you enjoy if you enjoy horror, you like a good story, good character development, it's great, you know. It's like Scott Snyder's horror stuff. Really, really good. If you read Witches, where Scott Snyder's writing it, and you have Jock doing the art, it is so good. So, yeah. And, you know, you could, you could see, like, Witches, I could see that as a movie. I mean, oh, it would yeah. be a, oh, yeah. a terrifying movie, but oh, I could see it oh, as a movie. This I could actually see as like a yeah. TV show or something. Mm-hmm. But it could yeah. be a movie too. But you you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, Whoa. yeah. You need the long run. You need the long run go for it. Yes, totally. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's a great book. <laughs> yep. Someone has mixed an amazing Spider-Man in with the Peter Parker the Spectacular Spider-Man series. This will not stand. Pardon me, but I wish to tender a serious cash offer for this stack of water-damaged little Lulus. <sighs> a, that is not water, it is diet Mr. Pibb. And B, I... Ooh. <sighs> Tell me, how do you feel about 45-year-old virgins who still live with their parents? Comb the sweet tarts out of your beard and you're on. So we'll go ahead and close it up with her final book, and it's my new book. And my new book, it's a character that I don't have a lot of experience with. I knew that he's a Spider-Man villain, sort of. Read a lot of Blade comics, a lot of Ghost Rider comics, because I've, I've seen him show up there. And my new book is Morbius Number 1 from November 2019. Now, real quick, sorry, Go I didn't ahead. have to interrupt you. But you do remember I did the original Morbius number one as yes. my old comic a while yep. back. Okay, good. So, yeah, so good. So <laughs> Yeah. So, but that's the only time that I think I ever read Morbius. Ah, gotcha. Um, In his own comic book. Of course, it had been there with Spider-Man, but yep. he didn't, he sort of seemed like, you know, kind of an anti-villain. You know, he has this right. curse. Actually, uh, for those of you that don't know Morbius, probably most of you do, he was actually born with a rare blood disorder, had attempted to cure himself <laughs> uh, with experimental treatment involving vampire bat DNA and yep. electroshock therapy. <laughs> <laughs> However, his condition got worse, and he has this pseudo-vampirism, which, yeah. okay, who's going to uh, inject themselves with vampire bat DNA and seen a lot of horror movies and think that's going to turn out well. <laughs> right. Well, it's a comic book, you know. Right. How right. else did it get that way? <laughs> right. So yeah, I so I saw he had a new book coming out and it, and it interests me because I like the darker characters in the Marvel universe. So I thought I'd check it out. Yeah. So your writer is Vita Isla, 
pencils, Marcelo Ferreira, inkers, Tuberto Paghi, colorist, Dono Sanchez Amarera, and letter, Clayton Cows. As our issue starts out, we're in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, which, at first, I thought about that. Greenpoint, Brooklyn? Is it Brooklyn, New York? Is I mean, it's in the Marvel right. Universe, so they usually use main cities, so maybe it's just like a small borough in Brooklyn or something. Yeah. And we see one of your favorite villains of all time. It's the Melter Man. And this is this ridiculous-looking character dressed in a yellow costume, and he has a Magneto-type helmet that covers his ears and goes down to his jawline. And he's actually uh, has this glowing red circle on his chest with these tubes coming off of. So I've never seen this character before. I can't say that I've heard of this character. Have you? Are you familiar with this? No, character? I'm not. No. <laughs> I thought no, he might be your I, favorite character there for it's, a second. It's totally my favorite. I mean, look at that costume design. So much time was put into it. Yeah, and he's actually <laughs> in a, a chemical lab in a warehouse concocting yeah. some kind of illegal experiment. The old illegal experiment. Yeah. With his goons waiting for him, which is great. <laughs> yeah, his like... goons are in the background, and they're like, what is this guy doing? And we see he has a patient, and the man asks, yep. is this going to hurt? No, it's one of his goons. Are you sure this won't hurt, <laughs> yeah. boss? Yeah. He's like, hey, yeah. just sit there. We're going to do this. <laughs> yeah. He says, what's a little pain in the long run? So they're interrupted by a scream, and the scream is by one of his goons, and he says, run for your life. <laughs> Yeah. He's like, what is going on here? It says, monster, run for your life. <laughs> a bunch of oh, his employees God. are running out. So Melter decides to get his little gun that's attached to his costume, and he <laughs> just mows down everybody running. I don't know if it's like a plasma gun, it's like a flamethrower, what it is exactly. And, and yeah. someone exclaimed, you killed them. He says the setting's a little touchy since the upgrade, okay? They would just need some skid graphs. Oh, my God. They're all... Oh, my goodness. Yeah. They're burnt to a crisp. Yeah. And then right right there, another one of his uh, employees is slashed and attacked by somebody. He falls over bleeding and yelling, and Melter demands to know who is out there. And this is the first time we see Morbius. We see the bottom half of his face, his chin is full of blood, his teeth out. <laughs> Melter is looking around. So at this point, someone yells, run. Everybody bolts and runs. Melter is looking around. And then there's this particularly scared guy. He 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 pushes somebody out of the way. He runs into the empty part of the warehouse and he stops because he thinks he finally lost Morbius, and he has blood drips on his shoulder, and he looks at the shoulder, and he's like, what is this? <laughs> what? And he looks up, no, as Morbius jumps down, and it looks like he's attacking them. It looks like he's attacking and killing people. Mm -hmm. The Melter comes in and sees Morbius over top of the man. Morbius actually hisses at him and comes after Melter. After he discards the man, he just throws him to the side. Melter zaps him with his gun. And at this point, M Morbius tells him, You thought you could come into this neighborhood and make it yours? You use fear and violence to terrorize people. And then as Melter 
Batman Flea Melter Man. That's so ridiculous. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> he flees. Morbius knocks him down and takes a tube. I guess some kind of chemical that he was concocting or something. Some illegal experiment of some sort. We don't really know what the chemical is or anything like that. Mm-mm. So, and then he says he'll put it to, to better use. And then we see this abandoned warehouse in a, a makeshift lab. And it's Morbius's lab where he's trying to find a cure for himself. He actually mentions that the men at the warehouse were bad men and he left them savage and terrified but alive. So he didn't actually kill them. And you see he actually has a fridge full of blood that he uses because he mentions he's done bad stuff in the past but... He's really not a bad person at heart. He tries not to be sort of like this anti-hero. And he has a memory of a friend named Emil who tried to help cure Morbius. But somehow Emil start, ends up dying at the end. It looks like maybe Morbius killed him or something. I'm not quite sure. Are you familiar with this Emil? Is this like a new character? I'd have to go back and read the old ones. I, yeah. Because, yeah, I, I don't remember that character per se. So when you told me you were reading this one, I was like, oh, I got to read the old ones and see. And I didn't. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I was busy with other things, but yeah. So. Right. So we switch back to Melter's warehouse and we see them picking up the pieces when the stranger shows up. It's a female with a blade. That's the only way I can describe her is a blade looking costume. Yeah. Yeah. And she looks totally awesome. She has this little handheld you know, crossbow. Looks like uh, she has a sword. She has a, a red cape. She's dressed in black. She has a utility belt. And she says, we both want the same thing. The death of Michael Morbius. <laughs> Morbius has, has used the chemicals that he borrowed from the melter. And he tries to make a cure. At first, when he j- injects himself, it looks like it works. But he ends up you know, mutating into further vampirism, and it ends right there. The one thing, I've, I went ahead and read several of these issues, so you find out who the woman is in the next issue, and I'm not going to spoil it, but to me, uh, this is my first experience reading this, and I thought it was it was pretty cool. I love the art, the art in this. Oh, it sort of reminds me in some ways of Kelly Jones, who we just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as, you know, how dark dark it looks, and it seems like a perfect... I mean, let me, let me correct myself. When we see the Lady Blade character, she looks totally... The artwork looks totally different than when we see Morbius and the way yeah. he's transformed. Yep. <clears throat> but the, the darker action in here is definitely a tremendous. I'm not familiar with this artist at all, but... I really enjoyed that aspect, and it's uh, as far as being a darker character and in dark universe of, of Marvel, this feels like uh, I really enjoyed this. It was a good, it was a good reintroduction to Morbius, I think. So my my only issue with it was they made his nose very, very bat like, which was never like that in the old comics. Okay. I had to, it like he lost his to. nose or something. Oh right, yeah. Missing. I mean, it looks like a turned up you know, curled bat nose, which I, I got used to. I mean, he looks great, but I do love his jumper suit. Looks like the old school with the big collar. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. I was like, they kept that. That's amazing. So, yeah. 
I wasn't too impressed. I mean, Melter Man doesn't scare me as a villain. No. no. <laughs> He's like your F-list villain. Oh, man. Yeah. Because it looks like the main villain is going to be the mysterious woman. The Huntress, you mean, right? She's yeah, just not wearing yeah, purple. Yeah, no. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. But you find out more about her in the next issue, and it kind of makes sense who she is. You don't necessarily know who she is now, but it, it'll all make sense as it goes on. So I mm-hmm. really enjoyed. And Spider-Man actually shows up in future issues, which makes sense of where he shows up. So, nice. yeah. Is, so I'm wondering with this, does Ghost Rider show up? Has he? That not... As of yet. Oh, okay, okay, because you know, old comics, there was a lot of interaction uh-huh. between Morbius and Ghost well, Rider. Ghost Rider so. has a new series that's out, too. It's like on issue six. Oh, really? I'm going to have to check that out. Oh, yeah. yeah okay. And do you remember, did we do an issue, I think, of... I've done Ghost Rider twice, because that Morbius one, the original one, had Ghost Rider in it. And then I did the Morbius and, I mean, Ghost Rider and Wolverine issue from a long time oh, ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. well... Well, Johnny Blaze has taken over hell because Mephisto is, like, in jail in Las Vegas. (laughs) So Johnny Blaze is the Ghost Rider. Right. They bring back... Dan Ketch is in this book, and he actually has some powers and has a costume. Okay. And I hope... I'm still behind a little bit, but I hope when it it comes, there's going to be, like, one Ghost Rider. You know, like, in the 90s, they had... Blaze, he called himself Blaze. Yeah, yeah. So it'd be interesting to see how that goes. But no, as far as I know, he hasn't shown up yet in the few issues that I've read. So gotcha. But there is cool. the the new movie coming out supposedly yep. this summer if we aren't still quarantined then. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> with Jared Leto, that looks pretty amazing. Have you seen the trailer for this? Yeah, the trailer looks phenomenal. So yeah, yeah. that is supposed to be. Venom shows up in that. So, oh, that's cool. Well, they're all part of that universe. So, exactly. Yeah. Cause there was an Easter egg, I guess, in the trailer or something with Venom. Where was it? Carnage. I can't remember. I was reading and then I went back and watched it. I was like, oh my gosh. So, that'd be really cool. They build that, that universe because we know that there's supposed to be a Venom sequel in the works. So, me, everybody knows I'm mainly a, a DC guy, mainly because of Batman, but I used to read. Venom and Carnage and those Spider-Man when I was a kid that got me into Ghost Rider, Morbius and all that. And so now seeing that those movies like Venom, I enjoyed and then they're like, they're going to do Carnage. I'm like, um, Cletus Cassidy. Yes, please. And have Woody Harrelson playing him. I'm like, oh, my goodness, it's going to be amazing. So, yeah, <laughs> that's definitely interesting. Man. Yeah. Yeah. So should be fun. But yeah, this Morbius. Great. Like, I, I agree with you. The artwork. Oh, my goodness. So good. Even Melter Man, like as dumb as a character, he's yeah. good art on him. Oh, but yeah. just like it's like okay, we're just gonna create a generic bad guy, um, <laughs> or maybe he did exist and there was something way back when. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it was great. It was so, a good yeah. comic. I I love how we both picked um, horror comics for our our new ones, kind of in a sense, because right, Morbius right. is a and horror we didn't, comic. Like, talk about it ahead of time, so no, the way no, it, it was happened. Just, yeah. So yeah. Well, awesome. So that was our episode. Pretty good. Had some good books. So if you'd like to contact us, we have an email. It's too old, too new podcast at gmail.com. The one thing I wanted to mention is uh, we are on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to give us an iTunes review, we'd really appreciate it. And we actually have a new iTunes review. And I wanted to go ahead and read that because uh, 
it might be our first one. <laughs> yes. Melter Man did exist before. Just so you know, I just looked up Melter Man. He first appeared in Tales of Suspense number 47, 1963. Holy cow. So he's a, his team affiliation is the Masters of Evil Death Squad Lethal Legion. So created sounds, by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. <laughs> sounds important. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. And nice. the rating that we got, five-star rating, is by Moonshiner Bob. <laughs> and he it's wrote my, my this uncle. about a year no. ago, so <laughs> sorry about we're just getting to you, Bob. It says, right, right. And here we go. The title is Love It. It says, here's what's great about this podcast. Obviously, you have a dynamic relationship with the host. They play off each other perfectly. What I really dig, though, is that it's approachable. Even if you're not a big comic book fan, it's still a great podcast to listen to. Love it. Oh, awesome. So thank you, Moonshiner Bob. Yeah, thanks, Moonshiner. Yeah. (laughs) That is awesome. So... Very cool. Well, so, we're glad you guys inter- you enjoy it. You're, I mean, we just try to. We both enjoy comics, so we yeah. just like talking about them. So yeah. yeah. So yeah. So we'll be back in a few, either weeks or months, or who knows. <laughs> <laughs> talking How about it works out. <laughs> more two old comics, two new comics. So we will see you later. Take care. 